Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning. Are you sure? It's good morning. That's, that's better. That's good. I thought that the fact that I work with Mark Brightkreitz would be a good thing. Amen? <laughs> At least you know how to pray for me. I actually enjoy working with Mark. It's great. So I work 50% of my time in the prairies, working primarily with pastors, and then 50% of my time, I'm actually working overseas in different places with the fellowship as well. And uh, for those who don't know, my wife and I spent 30 years in Columbia church planting before we came to live in Edmonton five years ago. And now I'm learning how to uh, live in Canada again. Uh, I'm trying. I am learning, and I'm very thankful that it's almost summer. This morning, um, I want to share something. Uh, Every time there's an encounter with Jesus, uh, something happens. If you look in the gospel, every single time there's an encounter, something changes in the person's life, for good or bad, but something changes. And this morning, we're going to look at an encounter that a young man has with Jesus, And every encounter will do three things for us. It'll show us a little more of who Jesus is. It will also reveal what we're like. Every time we look in the mirror and Jesus is the mirror, it's going to reveal something about us. So prepare yourself for that. And three, he's going to, in the encounter, he's going to show us how he wants us to change. And he will also give us the way to be transformed. And I hope... All three of those things happened this morning. And I'm just going to read the passage from where we're going to be looking at this morning. It's Luke 18. You don't need to look it up, but I'll just read it for you. Luke 18 is where a rich, a very wealthy, religious person comes to meet Jesus. And he runs up to Jesus, kneels down in front of Jesus, and this is what he says. Um, Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all those commands since I was really young. What else do I need to do? And when Jesus heard his answer, he said, If you want to be perfect then, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, 
How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Peter piped up and said, we've left our homes to follow you, so what's in it for us? Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you give us these, uh, these stories, these narratives for our good. And I pray this morning, Father, that you would reveal yourself to us. You would also reveal who we are. And I pray, Father, that you would do some internal change in us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you, as you heard that story about a rich man, most of you are saying, I can check out. I'm not rich, so this isn't for me. And the reality is that if I ask almost anybody in here, no matter how rich you are, if I said, are you a rich person? Most of you, I'm almost certain, most of you would say, oh, no, I'm not rich. I'm not rich. Well, this morning, I want us to look at this first slide. Uh, the question is, how rich am I, really? And God's going to actually confront our poverty this morning. But I want us to look at, first of all, how rich are we? In this in this slide, you see uh, two sides of the same coin. One side is very rich on the left-hand side, and on the right-hand side, you have someone who comes from a shack. Well, I, my family, actually, I've, I've actually come from a scenario very similar to this. My father, my grandfather, was basically a lord in England. He had nine farms. So my father comes from the left-hand side, my mother came from the right-hand side. And when my father chooses to marry a commoner in England, guess what? No one from his family shows up to the wedding. So I have both of these sides even in my family of origin. When you ask yourself how rich you are this morning, immediately you start to compare and that's how we actually try to define if we're rich or not. Now, if you have a, uh, a toilet that actually flushes in your house, you're richer than 80% of the world. So immediately, in that sense, you are rich. You're richer than 80% of the world, no matter what your lifestyle is probably here in Lloydminster. A month ago, this next slide, a month ago, I was in Colombia, and I got to actually interview these two ladies on a border city between Venezuela and Colombia. And if you know anything about Venezuela right now, it's almost to the same degree as the Syrian refugee crisis. The Venezuelans are leaving Venezuela at a rate of 2,000 a day are entering into Colombia. 2,000 a day. And I got the chance to go to this border city where actually 20,000 People cross the border every single day into Colombia. 18,000 go back every day. 2,000 stay in Colombia. 
And it's, of course, a huge crisis for the church as well. But I got to interview these two ladies, and I asked them, what are you doing? And they said, we come across the border every single day, and we bring a cake. We make a cake in Venezuela, and we bring it over to the other side, and we sell it, and then walk back. And I said, really, how much do you make? And I actually bought a piece of cake from them. Uh, by the end of the day, they make $5. And that's what they take back into Venezuela. And I said, why are you doing this? They said, because in Venezuela right now, a month's wage is $5. A whole month's wage. That's what they can buy with the money they make for a whole month, is one chicken, two pounds of rice with a month's wage. Are we rich or are we not? Compared to this, this was actually surreal because we got to work with the pastors who actually don't know what they'll eat tomorrow. So, of course, I felt like an incredibly rich person in front of them. But this morning, I also want us to look at this next slide because we're not talking about material wealth, even though in one sense we are. Who do you, you, know, you know who's on the left-hand side here, right? Billy Graham, who died a few weeks ago. And some of us would, uh, you know, would feel that this was a man of God, a very spiritual man, and very rich spiritually. And on the right-hand side, I won't, uh, I won't say anything about the guy on the right, but uh, some of us probably think we're a bit richer spiritually than he is. Maybe. I don't know how you gauge how rich you are this morning, spiritually, financially, but God's going to confront a few things in our life. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever done something spectacular, at least what you thought was spectacular, and then realized that it was actually useless. No? You've never done that? It's never happened to you? Well, I remember quite a few years back, I wanted to impress my wife. So I worked all day. I cleaned the house. I did all the dishes, I did the dusting, I did whatever to get the house in order. I even made supper. It was actually edible. <laughs> and I got to sit down at the table thinking, man, I've done an incredible job for my wife today. And almost immediately, she sits down at the table and asks me, says, do you love me? I just about croaked. And the way I responded proved that I didn't. <laughs> That's never happened to you, right? Well, where you think you've done something spectacular and you realize, wow, my wife actually is looking for something else. And in this story, that's what really happens. This guy comes to Jesus and he thinks he's done something spectacular and that he's actually spectacular. And he, and he actually leaves realizing, I'm not. And the first thing that comes out of the mouth of this young man who comes to Jesus says, good teacher, good teacher. Now, it's important to understand something because Jesus says, no one is good except God. So Jesus was the only rabbi at that time who was actually, actually allowed someone to call him good. 
All the other rabbis would not allow themselves to be called good because good meant without sin. Without sin. And this guy's saying, Jesus, you're a good person. All right? But I don't think this young man understands who Jesus is because he has no idea why he needs the good of Jesus. He actually thinks he's good. That's why the question comes out of his mouth, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he already has a preconceived of the things that Jesus is going to tell him, of the things he should do. You see, and I want to just stop there, even myself, do I realize, do I really understand how good Jesus is? See, if I really understood how good Jesus is, I would be willing to leave whatever. I'd be willing to pay whatever cost if I really realized how good he is. And I actually need him to reveal to me how good he is. I need that even this morning. The question he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now look at this question. It's in two pieces, and I've separated it on purpose. Think about the first part. Is that the right question? Is actually that the right question? Have you ever gone to God and said, what must you do? What must I do? Immediately, you see, he's asking the wrong question. He thinks he can actually accomplish salvation. But he's also looking at salvation with the wrong lens as well. Both of these phrases are wrong. One, the question's wrong, and actually what he's after is wrong. He's actually after an insurance policy for when he dies. Now, some of us actually came into Christianity that way. I'm one of those. I I remember very clearly, I didn't want to go to hell. So I asked my mother, what do I need so I don't go to hell? That's what he's asking here. It's the wrong, actually the wrong goal. Think about it. Is that really why you want to be a Christian, so that you don't go to hell? So he thinks he can actually accomplish what needs to happen so he doesn't go to hell and actually has eternal life. If I asked you this morning, why would you want anybody in Lloyd Minster to be a Christian? What would you say? Why do you want a friend of yours to actually be a Christian? So that they don't go to hell? Is that the reason? I think you have far better reasons than that one. When I first went to missions to Colombia, people would ask me, and you know what a missionary is. He, he goes to another country and he actually wants people to know Jesus. So people would ask me, why are you here? And I would... I had all kinds of answers. The first answer was, well, I'm here as a missionary. And what's that? How do you live that? Uh, Then I realized that didn't help. Uh, Then I would say, I'm here to plant churches. And they said, why are you planting churches? We got plenty of churches here. Because everybody in Colombia, 95% of the people attend a church, a Catholic church, but they attend a church. So we don't need more churches. 
So that didn't help. And for about 10 years, I actually struggled with the answer. Why am I here? Finally, I believe God gave me an answer that actually made a lot of sense. And what actually gave me incredible, incredible freedom to speak about Jesus. And I feel it was God that gave it to me. I didn't come up with this. I finally said, I'm here to help you have a more intimate relationship with Jesus, with the Jesus you already believe in. Because everyone there believes in the historical Jesus. They actually believe that Jesus died and rose again. But they don't have an intimate relationship with him. So it was interesting. As soon as I had that as the answer, everybody wanted to know, how is that possible? How can I have a more intimate relationship with the Jesus that I already believe in? And I think this man in this story, again, he's got the wrong question and actually after the wrong thing. And in January, I was surprised. I was in Spain And a man came up to me and asked me the exact same question. How, what must I do so that I can inherit eternal life? He he didn't put it in those words. But that was exactly what he said to me. And when I actually explained to him that had nothing to do with what he does, he was so relieved. And actually, at the miracle of miracles, he and his fiance actually received Christ that day. But he was after the he was actually thinking the same way as this young man. Larry Crabb says this, and I think some of us look at Christianity this way. I viewed Christianity as the best system available for making life work. We enter the Christian life by getting saved, by trusting Jesus to pay for our sins. We live the Christian life by trying to get it right. So that God will bless us big, rather than seek the better hope of intimacy with God. How many times have I actually been after the blessing rather than Jesus himself? I've been after the blessing many times. I've actually, I've actually been more happy with my work for Jesus than Jesus himself many times. It's very easy to actually live life this way. And actually get it wrong. This young man, he says, what must I do? Jesus says, do all these commandments. He says, I've done them all. What more must I do to inherit eternal life? It's amazing how much pride in one sense this young man has. He says, pour it on. Give me whatever you have. You know, tell me what else I have to do. I'm capable of doing it. But he's not convinced yet that he's okay. He still thinks there's more to do. I'm not actually acceptable the way I am. There's a doubt in his asking even. I want us to, I want you to, in this moment, switch the tables in one sense We will live tired lives if we cannot rest in his goodness. If if we're still trying to get it right, that's incredible burden. 
Thank goodness Jesus got it right. Thank Jesus that his goodness is what we need. I'm so thankful that Jesus actually was faithful the whole way through 33 years of his life. I'm not just thankful that he died on a cross for me. I'm actually so glad that he got it right the whole way through for our benefit. And then he says to the, Jesus says to this young man, if you want to be perfect, I think Jesus is actually talking with his tongue in his cheek, knowing that none of us can get it perfect. But he says, if you, if you want to be perfect, then go sell all you've got, give it to the poor, and then what does he say? Come follow me. And you know what happened? It says that Jesus actually looked at him with love in one of the Gospels. Lovingly, he said these things to him. I'm amazed. Jesus loves this guy even though he's got it wrong. In Jesus, even this, in, sorry, in love, Jesus will confront what our hearts are after even this morning. It's his loving kindness that comes to us this morning to actually reveal our own poverty of spirit. If we don't realize our poverty of spirit, we don't realize what he's offering us. And thank goodness he actually convicts us. Sometimes some of us who are Christians, when, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, we actually get depressed. I want to help you understand something. If the Holy Spirit convicts you, be very thankful because that proves that he lives in you. That is one of the greatest things we've got. Can you imagine if he didn't convict us? We're done. We'd be done. Thank goodness he does convict us of our poverty, even this morning. And what Jesus is saying to this young man is saying, go sell and follow me. What he's saying is this, I'm worth everything you've got. I'm worth everything you've got. See, this guy doesn't understand that. I don't know if I do still either, but Jesus this morning says, I'm worth everything you've got. He's also telling us, your desires are way too small. You have no idea what's the best. Hebrews 7 says this, the former regulation is set aside, the commandments of the Old Testament and so forth, because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. I'm so thankful that we have a perfect sacrifice for our behalf. But this moment in the life of this young man was a diagnostic moment. I don't know if you, I know people, if anybody here, the, the day you went to the hospital or went to a doctor and the doctor said, you have cancer. That was an incredible, difficult day. A diagnostic moment. A moment that hurt you deeply, but at the same time you're thankful that it was actually revealed. I was in hospital only 10 days ago. And, it, and when they told me the diagnostic of why I had to be in there, oh my goodness. 
But I was so thankful why I was there as well. I was so thankful that the doctors could actually do something about it. If I hadn't received the diagnostic, maybe I wouldn't even be here today. But thank goodness that God comes along and does a diagnostic on our heart even this morning. And he'll confront our poverty. What does he confront in this young man? He says, when he says to this young man, you have to go and sell everything you've got and come follow me, what does it reveal in his heart? What commandment was he breaking? What commandment was he breaking that he couldn't actually fulfill? The greatest commandment of all, what is it? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. You see, this man had no idea. He thought it was about doing the right thing. He did not realize it was about loving God and loving his neighbor. You see, he was actually, he was actually breaking the two laws that Jesus had left with us. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Both of them he was actually not fulfilling. Now, I want to stop and give you a little bit of a doctrinal class for two seconds. Romans 8, 10 to 13 says that love accomplishes the whole law. If love accomplishes the whole law, that means that every single sin is a lack of love. Did you, did you get that? Every single sin is a lack of love towards God, towards others, and even towards yourself. Every single sin, then, is relational. Every single sin hurts a relationship. And this young man has no idea that that's what's going on here. You see, Jesus in his mercy comes to reveal the poverty of this young man's heart that day. And it says he went away sad. He realized, I'm not capable of that. Augustine says this, My sin was all the more incurable because I did not think myself a sinner. Wow. I think Jesus would have liked to have said to this young man that day, he doesn't say it in the passage, but he says, listen, young man, I can't be your co-signer if you don't think you have any debts. Jesus is our co-signer. He pays our debt. And literally, he's saying to this guy, you don't even realize you have a debt. The disciples were listening. And the disciples said this, then who in the world can be saved? I'm glad they actually asked this question. Then who in the world can be sa saved? Because they said, Jesus, we follow, we, we've left home and we've left our families to follow you. Then what's going on? And I don't know how you think Jesus comes along and answers this, but let me read, let me read a verse prior to, prior to this, 
this encounter with Jesus. Jesus had just said this to the disciples. He said this in verse 17. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So who in the world can be saved? Children. Those with a mindset of a child. What do you know about children that make it easier for them? What is it? What do you think? Pardon? Trust. Yes, incredible trust. Do they trust in themselves as much as in Father? Okay, trust. Anything else about a child that makes it actually easier? Pardon? Love. They're concerned about the relationship for sure and the connection. They're not thinking about what must I do to be saved. They know they need the father or the mother. Let me read a couple of reasons why I think Jesus says this. Children receive the blessing of Jesus without trying to make themselves worthy of it. A child doesn't try to make himself worthy of it. I don't think children pretend they don't need it. So often we're actually trying to prove that we're not as poor as we are. A child isn't pretending they don't need it. And the last thing, I think a child loves the present joy of your presence as a parent. They love you being, you being around, being with them. I have six grandchildren. And sometimes we get to babysit our grandchildren. And uh, uh, you know, children, little children are always running here and there and everywhere. But what I realized the last couple times that I've actually taken care of my grandchildren is that they don't mind if they're running all over the place, but they want to make sure you're present. As soon as you leave the house or leave the room, they're wondering, where's that? Where's grandpa? Where's... You see, they actually enjoy your presence. And one of the things that I'm beginning to realize even in my own Christian life, do I actually enjoy just being with Jesus? Or am I after other stuff? How much do I just enjoy being with him? If someone found a way to let you live as a beloved son or daughter of the king, with a royal position established not by performance, but by relationship, you would be profoundly grateful. Because salvation is about a person. Salvation is a relationship with. It's not about even, yes, we will have eternal life, but the way he answers the disciples' question We've, fo we've followed you. We've left everything to follow you. He says, you know what? Even in this life, you'll get a hundredfold, and you will also inherit eternal life. You see, salvation, eternal life starts now, here. The enjoyment of his presence with us now, the relationship. Some of us, even this morning, and don't, don't take me wrong here, it is fabulous. It is so great that our sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. But you know what? Forgiveness isn't the end of salvation. Forgiveness is only the means to having an incredible relationship 
when, I'll say one more thing about this. You know what? I don't think God is that worried about your obedience as much as he is worried, concerned about our appreciation of who he is and what he's done for us. I'll say that again. God is not that interested about our obedience as much as he is interested in our appreciation, our gratefulness of who he is and what he's done for us. Totally different than what this man is thinking when he comes to Jesus. Now, to finish our sermon this morning, before going to the application, do you know who wrote the majority of the New Testament? Who wrote the majority of the New Testament? The Apostle Paul. Guess what? Paul, Paul is this young guy. Paul was actually this young guy. No, not literally, but Paul was exactly like this guy that runs to Jesus. He comes from a very, very upper class society. It says he is the most religious person around. And let me now tell you, ironically, ironically, Jesus uses one of these types to actually write most of the New Testament. It says in Philippians 3, this is what Paul says, we rely on what Jesus Christ, Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, because he was OCD about obedience. He was a perfect kid until his head couldn't fit through the door. Yes, he was. He was the perfect kid. You would have loved to have him as your kid. He says, Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Then he goes on to say this, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done not what he's done, what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as what? Garbage. I don't know why in English they didn't put the, actually what the original word means. It means what you don't want to step on in a cattle farm. That's what this word is, okay? Imagine. He says, that's what it's like. That's how garbage it is. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. God, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ. Wow. Wow. I think Jesus would like to say to that young man that day, and he probably would like to say it to us this morning, the following phrase. Know me, the crucified one, and let me be the good in your life. 
you'll be much richer for it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. And while they come back, I'm going to leave, I'm going to ask you to think about a question, this last question. I want us to reflect on the question that's up on the screen. What trash am I using to feel rich with? There's all kinds of riches in our lives. And compared to Jesus, it's trash, Paul says. Even my religious, even my spirituality often has become a hindrance to actually enjoying Jesus. And I brought something to help you understand this. What is this? Those who have children or grandchildren, what is this? Security blanket. Have you seen children walk around with this? What happens if you try to take it away from them? You just lost your friendship. You know, my grandchildren, and thank goodness none of them have had the bad habit of actually getting a sock and thinking a sock was their security blanket. But anyway, children grab these things, and if you try to take it away from them, they almost feel like you've ripped something out of them. Guess what? This morning, I don't care how old we are, even at my young age, I still have security blankets that I love to pick up. And this morning, God is actually asking you, what security blanket, what trash, what trash am I using to feel rich with? And while the musicians play, and they're going to just play quietly for a little while, then they're going to sing a song. And there's a lot of us here this morning, and I'm going to actually ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and come down to one of these tables. And there's four tables here. And there's pens and little papers there. And then there's a trash can beside each one. And all I'm asking you to do is the following. Ask Jesus. Ask God himself. I'm sure he's been revealing all kinds of stuff in our lives this morning. But I want you to answer this question. What trash am I using to feel rich with? And I want you to write it on that piece of paper and then crumple it up and throw it in the garbage as an act before God, not before anybody here, but before God. And say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've been actually, I've been after something other than you. I've actually been looking for something other than you. Even in my Christianity, I realized this morning, I'm, I'm after the wrong thing. And I want you to write it on that piece of paper and throw it in the garbage while the musicians play quietly. And even while we're singing, even while we're singing, feel free to come and do this as an act before God and get rid of some of our security blankets.